Timothy chapter 2 is where I'll start. You know the verse well. I'll use it just as a launching point. We'll turn to a few other verses throughout the morning. And really this morning, really more of a Bible study type than, than a, a Sunday morning sermon. But it is what the Lord had placed upon my heart for this hour. When you come to the Word of God, there are three very specific commands as to how you are to treat the Scriptures. And the first command is do not add unto the Scriptures. Revelation 22 and verse number 18, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this book, that if any man shall add unto these things, God will add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And so no new teachings, no new revelations, no private interpretations, no hidden books that are recently discovered, no apocrypha, uh, no, no, no new prophecies don't add to the Scripture. And then the second command is the verse after, do not subtract from the Scripture. If any man shall take away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, the things that are written therein. Do not add to the Scripture, do not subtract. But then the third command is in our text verse, 2 Timothy 2 and verse number 15. A study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So do not add from the Scripture, do not take away from the Scripture, but do rightly divide. And I know that you know, being from this church and Bible Institute and the preaching that you get, the only way to read the Bible, the only way to understand the Bible is to rightly divide the Scripture. You know that there is a difference between an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's a difference between books of the law and the Pauline epistles. You have to know that Matthew is written to the Jews, that Acts is a transitional book. And if you know those things, then it helps you to, to, to interpret those books correctly. Every false teaching, every cult gets their doctrine from the Bible, but they fail to rightly divide the Scripture. Uh, there, there's a group that met yesterday, Seventh-day Adventists. In fact, Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Baptists, but Seventh-day Adventists, they believe that you have to worship on the Sabbath. Well, where did they get that from? Well, they got it from the Bible. Uh, there's a group, Catholics, that believe that you have to confess your sins to a priest. Well, where did they get that from? They got it from the Bible is what they got it from. But they didn't, they failed to rightly divide the Scripture. And when you study the Bible and you try to rightly divide, you learn that every truth in the Bible has a counter-truth. Every coin has two sides to it. And so, so you study one truth, but there will be a truth that is similar, but it's not synonymous. You have faith, you have works. You have law, you have grace. You have believers, you have unbelievers. You have old nature, you have new nature, you have salvation, you have rewards. And you have to know the difference between those because if you don't know the difference between those counter-truths, then you fall into all kinds of false belief. If you do not know the difference this morning between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment, then you believe in a general judgment, and that's wrong. If, to, if, if this morning, if you do not know the difference between law and grace then you will become either an antinomian or legalist, depending on which ditch that you fall into. And that is wrong. 
If you don't know the difference between salvation and reward and this verse, it's which one is it talking about, then you'll either believe that you have to earn your salvation or you'll believe that you can lose your salvation. You have to rightly divide Scripture. And so this morning what I want to talk to you about are two doctrines that are very, very similar, but they're very, very different. And if you don't know the difference between these two major doctrines, you're going to be confused in your Christian walk. And I want to talk to you this morning about the difference between your position in Christ and your condition. Your position and your condition. Because here's what the Bible does. The Bible makes a number of statements of fact about a believer. But then you read another verse, and that verse seems to contradict what you just read. For example, take your Bible, go to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1, I'll, I'll just give you an example of what I'm talking about, and we'll just work our way through this. But 1 John chapter 1 and, and verse number 9, you know this verse well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Answer out loud. Don't be afraid to. But do you ever sin? Yes or no? Now, if you think no, read the verse before it. That'll help you out, all right? Do you ever sin? Yes or no? Yes. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Doesn't say habitually, by the way. It says he does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Answer out loud. Are you born of God? Yes or no? Yes. Do you ever commit sin? Yes. Some of you are not too sure now, are you, huh? You see, you see, the difference is, is that one of these verses is talking about your standing before God. The other verse is talking about your state on earth. One of these verses is a positional truth that will never change. The other verse is a conditional truth. And see, what God does is God declares you to be something. Whether you think that you are, or that you feel that you are, whether you've been living like that or not, God declares a positional truth. My position before God is the result of the work of Christ on the cross. But my condition today as I'm living is the result of my good works toward Christ. My position is mine. The moment that I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, my position is fixed. My condition today is determined on whether I'm going to walk in the flesh or walk by the Spirit. You cannot earn a good position before God. But you can earn a good state or a good condition before man. I'll give you an Old Testament example. Genesis 20, you don't have to turn there. Story of two men. One man is Abraham, one man is Abimelech. Abraham goes down to Gerar. He lies about Sarah being his sister and not his wife. And so Abimelech, the king of Gerar, he takes her, and God tells him in a dream, hey, wait a minute, this is another man's wife. 
And so Abimelech gets scared and he confronts Abraham about lying to him. Now Abimelech, Abimelech is a heathen king. He has no standing before God. The covenants do not belong to him. He has no promises. He, he has no faith. However, he's a man of integrity. He's got a perfect standing before man because everything that he does in, in Genesis chapter 20, he does out of innocence. He has more integrity in his heart than Abraham does. Abraham, on the other hand, has a perfect standing before God. He is a man of faith. That man has an unconditional covenant from God himself. He is called the father of the faithful. That's what he is. But in that chapter, he's walking by sight, not by faith. In that chapter, he's living in the fear of man. He is disobedient to God. He's a cowardly husband. He lies to protect himself. He tries to justify himself when he's confronted. What does it do to the covenants? Nothing. What does it do to his relationship with God? Nothing. His, his position before God is still the same. The covenant is still there. But his condition as he's walking, it doesn't match his position, you see. In Genesis chapter 19, there's a story of Lot. Everything that you read in the Old Testament about, about Lot is, is, is bad. He's selfish when he chooses the well-watered plains uh, uh, from Abraham. Uh, he, he is careless when he pitches his tent toward Sodom. He becomes comfortable with the, with the wickedness in that city. He even offers his daughters to the perverted men of that city. And when he tries to warn his sons-in-law about judgment, they laugh at him. And the chapter ends up with him in the mountain with his two daughters committing incest. Everything in the chapter about Lot, it's bad. But do you know what 2 Peter 2 says about him? 2 Peter 2 calls him just a lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man, that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from that. You've got to be kidding me. Now, when I look at him, I say there's nothing about him that is righteous. But here's what you have to understand is that one verse is describing his standing before God. The other is talking about his state. You can argue against it. You can say, no, he doesn't fit my criteria. But that's what God, God called that man a righteous man. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Numbers chapter 23, Balaam is hired to curse Israel. When he opens his mouth, out comes a blessing instead. And to the vexation of, of Balak the king and Balaam himself, Balaam starts telling Balak the king all the good things about Israel. And in Numbers 23, Balaam makes a statement that is ludicrous on its face. Here's what Balaam says. He says, God hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. You've got to be kidding me. Because in Numbers, in, in Numbers itself, in chapter 11, they're complaining to Moses about the manna. In chapter 12, they're griping about Moses' leadership. In chapter 13, they're murmuring and wanting to go back to Egypt. In chapter 15, they're violating the Sabbath. In chapter 16, you have Korah and the rebellion. In chapter 9, it's more complaining and murmuring. You've you got to be kidding me. But, but, but when presented before a heathen king, God esteems them as righteous. Their standing before God as his chosen people was not affected by their behavior. It doesn't make their behavior right. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but it doesn't influence their position before God Almighty. 
Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'll show you another one. And then I'll, I'll, I'll get into the message in just a minute. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 35. Great verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a wonderful passage, and here's what it says, that my position, is that nothing can separate me from the love of God and that I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ right now. Right now. If you are saved this morning, you are all of that. But your present condition may be that you have tribulation. It may be that you have distress. It may be that you're going to be persecuted. It may even be possible that you suffer and die for Christ. That is your condition. Still a conqueror. Still in the love of God. One of them is your position before God Almighty and the other is your condition on this earth. And you have to know the difference between the two. Five statements. I hope you write it down to think it's thought worthy down the road. Five statements that explains it. Here's the first one. Our standing is what we are in Christ before God. Our state is what we are in experience before others. My standing is what I am in Christ before God. My state is what I am in experience before others. Paul states it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every man is in one of those two positions. You are linked by birth to Adam, the federal head of the human race. But when you get saved, you are made a new creature and you are taken out of Adam, and you are placed in Christ. And when God looks at the unbeliever, he sees him as Adam. But when God looks at the believer, he sees him as he sees Christ. One of the most wonderful studies to do in your Bible sometime is to look at all of the benefits of being in Christ, in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you know the verse, Therefore, if any man be... In Christ, in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. My, my, my position, my position this morning as I stand here is that before God, I am in Christ. That's my position. That means that in my position, I am as perfect as he is perfect. He sees me as he sees his son. You say, it can't be. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 6. He said, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted. Why? 
He's made us accepted in the beloved. I am accepted by God because I am in Christ. Not because I'm a good person, but when I come to God, I, I come to him not on my condition. I not come to him because I've been a good person. I come to him based on my position. I am in Christ. Sometimes young people struggle with being accepted and being rejected. It is a settled fact this morning, a settled fact that God accepts you because he sees you in his son. My standing, my standing. Now don't let it blow you out of the water, but my standing before God is perfect because Christ is perfect. But my state is far from perfect. Because I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I have a bad attitude. And sometimes I wish there are some people that would die. And sometimes I don't discipline my flesh. And I don't wake up every day feeling real spiritual. So my actual experience day by day may not match what I truly am. But I truly am what I truly am. The prodigal son was always his father's son. Living in our country doesn't look like a son, doesn't match his position, but he is still the son of the father. So I say this morning that my standing is what I am in Christ before God. My state is what I am in experience before others. Second statement, write it down if you think it's thought worthy. Second statement is this. Our standing will never change. Our state is always changing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. It's a good enough verse to quote. 1 Corinthians 6 illustrates it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. No adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, thank God for verse 11. And such were some of you. Now watch this. But you are washed. You're sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Boy, what a wonderful statement that is. By the way, that's good standing, isn't it? Washed sanctified, justified. I, I, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Go back to the book. I mean, 1 Corinthians is written to the most carnal church in, in church history. I, I mean, they're divided, they're carnal, they allow sin in the congregation, they're not exercising church discipline, they're abusing the Lord. So, I mean, this is a church that's got a lot of problems, still washed, still sanctified, still justified. I know I want to preach against their sin, but hey, this morning what I'm emphasizing is that, 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 that the position has a change. I don't like their state. But it doesn't change their standing at all. I will never be more saved than what I am right now. God cannot see me more favorably than what he sees me right now. Because you can't improve on the position of being in Christ. I have been forgiven completely, fully. You don't get more of it and I get less of it. You got the exact same salvation that I got. Yours is the same as mine. My position, listen to me, my position before God will never change. We call it the doctrine of eternal security. It'll never change. But my standing 
my condition. Some days it's good, some days it's bad. Some days I trust the Lord, some days I don't. Some days I walk by the Spirit, some days I don't. Some days I follow the Word of God, some days I don't. It doesn't change my position. But I tell you, it has a great influence on my condition. You think about all of the truths about you being in Christ that will never change. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, to the saints which are at Ephesus in Christ Jesus. One of them is your condition. One of them is your position. He says in verse 3, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, you are chosen in him. Verse 5, you're accepted in the beloved. Verse number 7, in whom we have redemption. Verse number 11, in whom we have many. goes through all of these benefits. Somebody one time counted 235 things that are true of me now that I've gotten saved that were not true before I got saved. Uh, we were over at Brother Butch's, Brother, is that right? Brother Butch's yesterday, and he gave his testimony, and I'm looking for it there. He gave his testimony when we got saved and, and how everything changed. You didn't even know that. Uh, but, but man, things just, just change when you get saved. And everything, everything that is true about that position, that position, it'll, it'll never, it cannot improve. It cannot deteriorate. If you are accepted, you are accepted. He'll never reject you. You you understand that this morning. You cannot be any more redeemed. You cannot be any more forgiven than what you are right now. He'll never revoke his salvation. He'll never take away some of his redemption. He'll never pull back some of his forgiveness. It's not because it's a sure thing that you'll always please him, but it's because he sees you in your position in Christ. Oh, what a wonderful thing. My position would never change. Now, my condition always changes because sometimes I have victory and sometimes I'm defeated. And sometimes I get up and I'm joyous. And sometimes I get up and I'm in a bad mood. And sometimes when troubles come, I have peace. But sometimes when it comes, I'm anxious. And the reason is because I have two natures. I've been given, I've been made a divine partaker of the nature of Christ. That old man is still alive. It was not eradicated at salvation. And the struggle that exists, Paul describes it in Romans chapter 7, between my standing and my state, it's the struggle between the old man and the new man. And sometimes my condition doesn't reflect my position, but I'm still saved. Even if I don't act it, if I'm saved, if I was ever saved for one moment of life, I still am. I say this morning that our standing will never change. Our state is always changing. I'll give you a third statement. Third statement, I hurry. The third statement is that every believer has the exact same standing. Each believer has a different state. Every believer gets the identical salvation. There are no different levels, no degrees. None of you are working toward Godhead. None of you are higher on the ladder than any of us. We all get the same. Everything that you got and became when you got saved, I got and became when I got saved. Every believer in here. Every believer in here right now is a saint, sanctified, justified, washed, all of that, all of that. Now, now, now here's why that's good to recognize. It's hard for you to boast 
when you realize you did no more for your salvation than anybody else did. That you got the exact same set of blessings as every other believer. All of us, all of us are on equal ground, equal standing, equal position, equal status. The most carnal believer in this room, whoever you might be, but the most carnal believer in this room has as much of a standing with God as the most spiritual believer in this room. But every believer doesn't live the same. Some of you are growing. Some of you are still babes. Some of you are spiritual. Some of you are carnal. Some discipline the flesh. Some are undisciplined. Some are surrendered. Some never surrendered. Some are zealous. Some are lukewarm. Everybody's standing is the same. Standing is the same. Everybody's state is different. I'll give you the fourth statement. I hurry. Our standing is to be enjoyed and experienced in our state. And here's what I mean by that. My position is that I'm a son of God. I'm an heir of Christ. The Bible calls me a king and a priest before God. The Bible calls my body a temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what I am. But what I am to do is I am to live like a son of God. I am to enjoy my riches in Christ. I am to rejoice in my justification. I am to, 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 to surrender my body as a temple of the Holy Ghost. And while my position and my condition will never completely correspond in my body, I should ever be increasing and growing toward that. In fact, look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, look if you would in verse number 4. Now, here's positional truth. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died in the sin once. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That is talking about my position. It is a settled fact that his death is counted as mine. His resurrection is counted as mine. The old man is crucified. I am free from sin and I am alive in Christ. That's what I am. What are you to do? Verse 11. Likewise reckon. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law, but under the grace. All of these positional truths that are described in the first part of the chapter, I tell you that they are true, but you can live as though none of those things are so. What are you to do? You are to reckon it, believe it. You are to believe that it is true and you are to yield your body to righteousness and do not yield your body to sin. You are to exercise righteousness in your body. You are to yield to the Holy Spirit so that your condition can be enjoyed in your position. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, if you don't ever, if you don't ever exercise, verse 11, 12, 13, and 14, verse 4 through 10 are still true. But what you are to do is you are to take the reality of verse 4 through 10 and you are to live in that reality. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. You say, this is too heavy for Sunday morning. No, you, you can handle this. Look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse number 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. A believer has crucified the lust of the flesh. That's my standing. But even though the flesh has been crucified, the believer can be guilty of doing the works of the flesh. That state. So if our position is to live in the Spirit, our condition is to walk in the same. Do you know Galatians 2 and verse 20? I am crucified with Christ standing. Nevertheless, I live state. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, standing. And the life which I now live in the flesh, state. I live by the faith of the Son of God, standing, who loved me and gave himself for me. It ought to be the aim and the heart desire of every believer that every day the Holy Spirit awaken me, convict me, teach me, Guide me so that my conduct and my practice is raised to the level of my spiritual standing before God. That what God says is absolutely true of me may be evident in my daily walk. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, look at verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Here's what it says. I, Though I am seated on earth, Paul says I'm already seated in heaven. The old song says, I'm already over on the other side, waiting for my body to be. His death recognizes my death. His burial recognizes my burial. His resurrection recognizes my resurrection. His position recognizes my position. Whatever's true about him is true about me. I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ. I'm already in, in God's mind. I'm already there. Already there. In fact, hold your finger right here. Hold your finger. I, I got to come back to this. Hold your finger. Come to Romans 8. And it's, it's bad if you ever enjoy your own preaching because then you never stop. But, but I'll show you a verse, Romans chapter 8. See if, see if I can find this verse, Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Watch this. Romans 8, verse, verse 28, we know all things work together for good. 29, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Watch this. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Past tense. Completed action. It's done. Whom he also called, them he also justified. Right now. Right now. Justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. Now, you and I understand that when we get to heaven, we will be glorified, right? I'll get my glorified body one of these days. That's not what it says. Already am. 
Doesn't say that I will be. Says I am. Say, how can that be? From God's point of view. From God's point of view, it's a settled fact. It is going to be done. Goes ahead and writes it down as if it's already completed. Amen. Already, already. That's what Paul is saying, that I'm seated in heavenly places. It, that is my position. Look back, look back in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 29, though. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away with you, from you with all malice. Every Christian that is described in Ephesians chapter 2 has committed the sins in Ephesians chapter 4. But I tell you, it doesn't change the fact that you're still seated in heavenly places in Ephesians chapter 2. It doesn't change it. But what you want is for your condition to be enjoyed in your condition. I'll give you one more statement. I'm done. That when I am glorified in heaven, my standing and my state will finally be fixed and united. Yeah. Philippians chapter 1, I'll read the verse, you know it. Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, last verse. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, verse number 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we should be, but we know, we know, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, that's where it's going to end up. This journey called the Christian life, I tell you how it's going to end for me. Perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. A completed work. I will be like him him. Now listen, you may backslide. You may sin. You may quit growing. You may quit serving God. In fact, you may even get out of church. But if the standing is true, if, if you are truly in Christ, God will perform and he will complete the work in you. And you will one day be in practice like Christ as you already are in position. Now here's why that encourages me. That's what I want. I want my condition to match my position. I want to live every day like the child of God that I am. But I have an old nature and I have a body of sin and sometimes it rises up. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes I submit to that flesh instead of the Holy Spirit. It's never right. There's never an excuse for it. Please understand, no excuses for it. It should never happen. But what it does is it encourages me that it didn't change my position. I didn't lose my salvation. I didn't lose my favor, my acceptance with God. It encourages me that God doesn't quit on me. He doesn't just throw me on the trash heap. But he'll keep working on me. And sometimes it's painful. But he will keep working on me and he will not give up. Until one day, one day, my condition 
will be as perfect as my position. And what you have to learn to do is you have to learn to live by fact and not by feeling. Let the fact of your position, who you are, that's where it starts. Let that influence the feelings of your condition. You can either live in guilt over your failures or you can confess your sins Believe that they're forgiven, leave them at the cross, and dwell on the fact that you are a child of your Father. You can let your standing be your delight. And too many times we focus all of our energy on our condition, how I feel today. But, 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 but I say that it doesn't begin there. It begins from a position. I get discouraged if I dwell on how I live. But I never get discouraged if I dwell on what he has done in me. So here it is. I'm done. Here it is. You're standing before God, how he sees you. Your state before man. This is what God sees. This is what you see. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. This cannot ever change. This is constantly changing. This, this cannot affect my state. Or this does affect my state. This never affects my standing. God took care of this. I am to take care of this. Romans 6, Romans 7. New man, old man. If you are unaware of how you stand before God, you will live in guilt. If you're unaware of your condition, you will live in pride. If you are aware of how you stand before God, it produces peace. If you are aware of your condition, it produces repentance. When God saved me, he began a work in me. And he judicially declared me to be positionally perfect. And I am to grow conditionally toward that. I am to be physically what I am spiritual. I am to be outwardly what I am. You can't get the cart before the horse. It does no good to try to conform the outward man if the inward man has not been transformed, you cannot do it alone. I go back to your testimony yesterday when you talked about sitting down in the man cave and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let you. He wouldn't let you. You have the help of the Holy Spirit inside of you that tells you what is right and tells you what is wrong. You have the Word of God, that direction that guides you. And if you're truly born again this morning, the overwhelming desire of your heart is God make in me conditionally what you have declared me to always be. I want to be what he wants me to be. I want to ever be growing and maturing. And I don't know where you are on this journey. How much does your condition match your Position. Similar truths, but very different truths. To bow your heads with me this evening.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God. And I, I pray, Lord, on a Sunday morning, we're I'm sure more geared toward evangelism, but this is what you placed on my heart. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you speak to us this morning. If there's somebody in this room that says, boy, I've been working on the condition, the condition, the condition. I can't get it right. And maybe it is this morning that it's all outward reformation, but there's never been an inward transformation. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that has forgotten what you did for us, what you made us, what you declared us to be. And I pray that they see that and they receive help and encouragement from that. That that motivates us to live in holiness. It could be somebody here this morning that recognizes the truth, but they also recognize some things in their life that's not right. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that attitude, that, that thing, because it doesn't look like what you say that I am. I pray they have the courage to come and surrender that to you this morning. Speak to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, John. Let's all stand. The altar's open this morning.